大家收聽《The Honky Show》第六集。咁啊，今日呢一集咧就比較特別啲嘅，我哋會係用英文。啊、uh, ，so we actually gonna do it in English. And、uh, fortunately, I've invited one of one of my best friends、uh, to my podcast. And、uh, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> Are we giving names?、Uh, Well, as you wish. <laughs> no, I won't give a name. Okay, all right. Is it is it still、uh, confidential with the names? Yeah. Okay. You can you know just use initial if you want.、So. I just、uh, give myself an initial of、uh, T K. Okay. So T K, how did we meet? We met at work. Yeah. We、okay. uh, we started working together in two thousand and seventeen. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's been pretty.、Uh, it was about two years working together. Yeah.、Right? So <coughs> what 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 exactly is my is your first impression of myself? Thought you were very quiet and timid. Yeah. Yeah, but hardworking. Okay. And okay.、Uh, shrewd. Right. Yeah.、Um, you know. You know what was my first impression of you?、What? I thought you are one of those、uh, you know big money traders. Who make like you know billions of dollars every year, you know very typical you know Wall Street guys, but then you know, you you've got your funny side. You peeled off the layers, <laughs> and you got to the the truth. Yeah, yeah. But、uh, anyways, you know what what makes you you know come to Hong Kong, you know why Hong Kong? Just, why not Shanghai? I want to ask you a question. Yeah. How many how many followers do you have now in the podcast? Uh, I've got less than ten followers. Less than ten. But I've got more than two hundred viewers. Oh, okay, okay.、Yeah. So there's two hundred unique viewers. Yeah, but it's not about the numbers.、Um, it's okay. It's all about creating memories. So you know, when I reach the age of forty, you know, when I look back and say, oh, you know, I've done something good back in my thirties. Okay.、Um, and I think you're gonna do more than just this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know the question I've always been curious about is how do people ramp up their following? Like, you know, there's I I can understand like、mm. a, a famous like boxer or a famous yeah MMA yeah fighter. You know, he starts podcasting and people start to follow him because of their previous career. But there's、yeah. also people that have basically done nothing, but then they become very popular. Is、mm. it the content? I'm really curious. I'd like to find out. I think it's more about maybe if you do more English. Maybe、yeah. if we do this irregular, <laughs> we can. But then, if we do it irregular, <laughs> then maybe there might be some locals that yeah. Yeah. and expats that just follow just just to kind of get a feel of what's going on. Yeah,、right. yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, we we're based in Hong Kong. Majority of people speak Cantonese. Well, you might get、um, some. Mainland、I mean, I'm、Chinese. I'm happy to do it in English. Oh, you can get some mainland Chinese following. Yeah, I could do it in Mandarin. No, no, <laughs> no. It's no, gonna no. be you know pretty no, funny. No, my Mandarin is is <laughs> subpar at the moment. I need more practice. <laughs> I haven't been to China in one two years almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Since、uh, since COVID. Anyways, um, you、okay. know, just just <clears throat> introduce yourself. You know, where are you originally from? You know, and then what makes you you know want to. I'm Australian. Yeah. I'm Australian. I'm from. Australia, yeah. I、um, I moved here about twelve years ago.、Uh, I was originally not planning to get into finance, but then I got an opportunity to work at a bank, and they sent me to Hong Kong. And, yeah. And I was lured by the、um, 
the I guess the uh, the money the money the, the, money, the, fame. the not fame not fame I saw I saw a lot of exuberance yeah and uh, and I was also curious about mainland China because yeah. as an Australian you don't know much you don't see much yeah, yeah. and um, before I even uh, before I moved to Hong Kong I found a I found a book on my dad's bookshelf and yeah well, he had the entire works of Mao Zedong right and, okay but then there was also a shorter book and it was just it was a it was a truncated version I guess of of his life and um, it was actually a few hundred pages long, but I still read through it. And uh, I read that in anticipation of going to Hong Kong and actually expecting it to be, you know, very mainland China. Yeah. yeah. But when I got here, I realized there was a, there's a very big distinction from a, from a legality perspective. Mm. And then at the same time, um, you know, being in Hong Kong and, and seeing... Uh, you know, going to Shenzhen a couple of times and and uh, doing a little trip around China, I realized that you have to really be there to actually understand the the, the dynamic, the business yeah. dynamic, the political dynamic. So I spent three years in China after I moved to Hong Kong. Yeah, and then I came back and I started working, obviously with you. <laughs> What's your pseudonym? <laughs> huh? What's your pseudonym? Pseudonym. Yeah. Um, it's uh well it's not my pseudo name come it's on Changi? no it's what, ashton, what ashton but it's not pseudo oh, okay. <laughs> okay ashton i don't want to give out the real name ashton um, yeah ashton ashton is my yeah last name <laughs> whatever <Lim. laughs> ashton Lim. Like, it could be first name it could be last name yeah 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 uh, anyways that's not the attention um so how do you find china in general oh i was impressed at the scale i was impressed at the um the the level of diligence to develop such a place uh from you know from where it was i studied development economics at university for a semester and that's where i was first introduced to the the china story because previously i was not very aware of the actual um, successes that the the, uh, the party had in transforming the country but mm. in development economics you'd be surprised as a western education system yeah China became the the model kind of system in which to pull people out of poverty yeah right and that yeah. was the first time I was kind of introduced to it and seeing that and seeing how it had actually happened yeah it requires a huge amount of political discipline right yeah. compared to other countries in the world you kind of yeah very 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 um, you know you see other countries in Eastern Europe you see countries in the Middle East you see the level of corruption there you see the level of cronyism yeah and you you just have to kind of appreciate the the uh, the kind of effort that went into making China what it is today yeah. there's nothing there's nothing short of of uh, a success story there right yeah yeah, yeah. So you, you, you spent three years? Spent three years, then came back and got into uh, investment management, right. uh, which is well, wealth management, investment management, that, yeah. that kind of space. Yeah. And, uh, and that was basically, it's kind of you know, interesting. You, you look at it like a, a river, right? Mm -hmm. like the, um, oh, and and it, it's analogous to a river in the same sense. <clears throat> 
you have China and, and, and capital flows coming out of China going into Hong Kong. Yeah. And Hong Kong is is the is the, the delta that feeds into the ocean. Yeah. Right? And the ocean yeah. is the global financial markets. Yeah. And in a similar fashion, just like, you know, the uh, the Pearl River Delta, you know, Hong yeah. Kong being, you know, very nicely positioned there. Yeah. It it offers it's uh, it, it basically you know for it, for me it fulfilled the 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 full kind of uh, the full um, what's it called the full objective of what I wanted to do which mm-hmm. was I wanted to see where the money was coming from and how it flowed out of yeah. China yeah right and yeah. then working in investment management in yeah. in Hong Kong allowed me to do that because. You see where you know the different pockets of capital, where they come from, yeah. whether it's you know government sponsored, yeah, or it's co-sponsored by government, private, then there's private, yeah, and then and then these are used to to channel into businesses, and those businesses then you know either list in onshore, list in Hong Kong, list in the U.S., and then the capital flows out, and then yeah. there's capital coming in from investors that want to participate in in the growth as well, <clears throat> and. Um, a lot of that growth obviously comes from, from uh, you know, government, uh, government monetary, government stimulated monetary yeah. growth, right? Yeah. Like that's that's basically it. Yeah. And uh, but it, it kind of fulfilled that 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 kind of thesis. Well, not even not necessarily the thesis because I didn't know what the thesis was initially, yeah. but it kind of answered the questions that I had about how is it so powerful how is it so wealthy where does all the money come from because mm. it was going all the way to australia mm. and it was buying up australian assets yeah and you can't just help on one you, you just you just have to wonder where, where that money's coming from it's very difficult to sit there and not wonder that you know yeah. there's a few hundred million dollars that just bought out an australian business mm. and uh you want to be part of that right yeah. you, know, you want to understand it right? right otherwise you just feel feel kind of so it's just not all about the money but you really want to understand well, you know, the entire process well i don't want to <clears throat> i wouldn't want to exclude the the, the monetary <laughs> component because because it's it's not because i'm materialistic in a, i'm not materialistic at all but right. <clears throat> you have but to, to a certain extent you know i think a lot of people are right because the cost of living in hong kong is so high well the cost of living is high so you don't you, you're not necessarily materialistic just because you want to keep up with the cost of living right yeah. I'm not I'm not one to just want to have excesses in life. Yeah. The reason, you know, why why I would I, I have a I have a philosophy and that, that is that if you know, I, I am religious, right? I'm 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 Christian. So I have a philosophy and that is that if God intended me to be smart, then he intended me to to and if if I have that in ability to to create wealth and use that wealth to 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 better humanity yeah in in small pockets or large pockets depending on how much capital you you have then then i should do it Mm. right it's not it's it's the for me financial wealth is is a is political capital it's synonymous right you you have the money you have the politics you have the money you have the you have the ability to, and you say you see it on the on the on on the far spectrum of wealth as well, like Bill Gates. Yeah. He drives he drives public policy through, through the capital that he has, either through lobbying or funding the right the areas that he wants to fund, mm. which would traditional be, traditionally be funded by governments, right? Yeah. 
So if you say that it's not the money, well, it depends on how you want to look at it. Because if I'm smart enough to, to be in a privileged position to attain high levels of wealth, then I should try. Yeah. I should try my best. And, and by trying my best, then I can, I can do things that will be able to help people. Right, mm. um, and that's that's pretty much the the foundation of that philosophy I have towards life. Man, you've got a lot of uh, you know thoughts. It's know. not a lot. And uh, hey, how about can you tell us a little bit more about you know your time in the army? I believe you served in the Australian Army, right? Well, I, I I served as a as a training to be a lieutenant. So I was in the in the yeah. the um, I was in the Australian. Uh, well, officer's first appointment course, right? Wow. And um, I did that as a, you know, because I wanted to develop leadership skills, right? Like, I think, I think it's... Not shooting skills. <clears throat> well, you know, yeah, leadership, yeah. Leader, you know, part of, you have to understand <laughs> that part of leadership is making hard decisions as well and being, yeah. being leaders have to be tough and leaders have to be... Yeah. Um, but you can learn it elsewhere, right? Well, Why not really. It's yeah. very difficult. Yeah. Leadership is, you know, I, you're talking about... 19, 19, 20 year old guy being being groomed to or a girl being groomed to um, to 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 lead a platoon of 30 people. Yeah. By the time they're 21, they graduate from university or the Royal Military College yeah. and they're 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 a platoon commander. They're in charge of 30 people. Yeah. You don't see that kind of dynamic in any other corporation these days because of just just that, you know, the, the nature of the aging population and, and people are kept in in their positions longer because there's you know people are retiring later right so it's it's you're you, you gotta you gotta get rid of the person that's you know 40 years old that's managing 60 people for the next guy who's 30 years old to come and replace him right mm -hmm. but um so we do have a phenomenon that happened over the last 30 years especially i guess in finance especially where you started to see more like you know the the workforce grow and there was a lot more people there so they had to push back that age of leadership so mm. having that opportunity at a young age um, you know leading squads leading platoons training missions you know very very difficult circumstances it gives you good a good kind of grasp of what it takes to become a leader and I'm not saying I, I'm I'm a very good leader right? right you know it takes practice yeah leadership takes practice if you could be you could be a a general you know in charge of five thousand soldiers and and retire for twenty years. Yeah. Your leadership skills will deteriorate just like your language skills would if you if you spoke Mandarin and you went to America for for uh, you know twenty years and and tried to speak to a Chinese person again, right? Yeah. You wouldn't be able to speak, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's the same thing. It's it's a there's a muscle there in your brain that. That, yeah. that has automatic responses for certain like a multitude of scenarios yeah. right yeah. including interpersonal including strategic including you know um, exogenous forces right mm. your own your own internal um, myopic biases yeah. right and all those have to be controlled and refined as a leader, the second you kind of pull yourself out of that, you become, you kind of, you're not training it, you're not, you're not maintaining it, and it, yeah. it becomes less and less natural, right? Yeah, yeah. So, 
they used to teach us this and I, I never I, I never kind of um, understood it until until um, much later because I left after three years because I, I moved to China right? right I decided to make the move to China so I resigned I, I resigned before graduating right uh, and that was I, that was a tough decision it was very tough but right. it was a decision I made for one reason only which is I'm very stoic with my views right like I um, the the Australian Army spends tens of thousands of dollars yep. maybe even a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars to train a lieutenant mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of guys that sit there, do the do the training, yeah. become a lieutenant, then resign straight yeah. after because yeah. it was just it was just a way to prove that they can do it. Okay. Right. And I was you know over halfway through the I was halfway through the training, over halfway through the training. I we we the, the most difficult training courses were already completed. Okay. And what was left was the refinement of of certain you know platoon commander skill sets. Which I was also already doing, but not to this, not to the. Ex- I didn't take it to the assessment level, right? And and um, and I decided that okay, well, there's there's thirty percent left, and that that remaining thirty percent is me just doing that for the sake of getting my lieutenant pips, and then resigning. I didn't think that that is what a, a I guess a noble person would do. Right. Yeah. It's something that, you know, that that's something I feel strongly about. So I just said, you know what, I just what I, I made the decision. I'm going to move to China. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to see where I want to see, you know, what the next hundred years of the world is going to look like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I'm not going to see it through the army. Yeah. And if I'm not going to see it through the army, then I might as well just resign. Okay. And um, and then. So that's that's what led to the decision. So it was pretty hard, um, yeah. but uh, you know, could I have stayed, done it, uh, and finished it, mm-hmm. and stayed a little longer? You would have you would have gone to a completely different life. I mean, I, I might have changed my mind completely about going to China, right? Yeah. And I I feel that it was it's still and you probably won't pick up Mandarin. Yeah, I wouldn't have spoken, been able to speak Mandarin or communicate yeah. Yeah. to the to the crude level that I can communicate right now, mm. right? And, um, and at the end of the day, uh, the, the era of, you know, military officers, you know, lieutenants, captains, majors coming out of the military and going into finance roles, senior finance positions, because of, they've showed that they're capable of leadership doesn't exist anymore. It, it existed 30, 40 years ago. I think it still exists in the private equity sector very little uh, very little yeah, very little very little yeah. they've got programs you know goldman's has programs in place for you know ex-military guys yeah. but it's different it's, it's very different to what it was before because before people the the amount of people trying to the, the volume of people trying to enter this industry finance industry or whatever industries were hot was much smaller right but then people started to catch on people catch on that there's money in it and they want to get into it so the, the competition intensifies and then you're dealing with people that are subject matter experts rather yeah. than just people with leadership expertise yeah and sometimes as a, as a person hiring if their background was never military they don't understand the, the actual competence of, of, yeah. of people that have served in the military yeah right yeah, which see. is actually much higher than a lot of you know just average people that that just do an MBA and they say they have leadership skills. So <laughs> it's obvious. They, they, I I don't 
like you, you know if you gave me the opportunity i you know you know i have i have an incubator right yeah right so you gave me if you gave me the opportunity of um of hiring someone um where my incubator is we're not going to name countries it's yeah. in eastern europe yeah right yeah i have an incubator in eastern europe I, we have four companies that we're incubating yeah and and i have an opportunity to hire an mba from yeah. a european university or a guy that's been a platoon commander or a, a platoon commander or, or a or a um you know maybe even higher let's yeah. just say let's just keep it small because yeah you know, yeah i would choose the platoon commander any day over the mba right because you know but if you haven't served in the army would you have changed your mind if you don't you don't know the actual the 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 the, the skill sets that are needed mm. to 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 function properly as a platoon commander or as a right. as a captain or a major right yeah you know running a running a company military company right is you know you're in, what is it 60 men 90 men right and you're like 25 26 years old right right lieutenants 30 men you're 21 years old yeah. but the problem solving skills the the way in which you deal with problems human problems managing people yeah you know all that's more of important stuff. than managing numbers well no that you do manage numbers in the like numbers is one of the most important things yeah. in the military as well right you're looking at logistics you're looking at supply you're looking at you know how much water ammunition how much everything you have your your people your you have to calculate distances and and your and that's just Literally you around it that's just you yeah. then then you got to factor the the, the exogenous yeah. forces yeah. which are an enemy or multiple enemies or civilians mm. and the calculations that take place there plus the the various moving parts with that yeah. with that dynamic yeah. aerial land armored it's it's a very complex non-linear kind of analysis that you have to perform as a lieutenant and that's a skill set right yeah. but i'm not quite sure that a kid that you know his parents paid fifty thousand dollars to get an mba is necessarily any better qualified <laughs> right other that, than that, be meeting people maybe well perhaps. you can you can meet people you can have contacts yeah. but you know you you know you in the same in the same sense yeah i would argue that you know what you're taught in the army is to sit there and, and be able to meet people quite readily of course right yeah in your military theater right you're yeah. taught that right yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that okay you might have the contacts yeah but you're just that's that's that would be analogous of saying well you have you have the answers mm. whereas you're giving you're giving someone here's the problem solver whereas you're giving a an mba guy comes in and he's like i've got the answers already yeah right yeah. And I'm not too sure that that's there's much you know to gain from that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I that's the way I look at it, right? Okay. If you okay. if you have the answers, you're only stuck with the answers. Someone gave them to you. Someone's like in, it's a network that you created. That's great. <laughs> but how about you learn the skills to outside of that environment to create a network? It's yeah. very different, right? right? Right. I see. Coming back to Hong Kong, um, you know when you arrived in Hong Kong for, for the very first time, did you feel pressurized because of the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, it's such a small city, there's a lot of talent, and these talent, they've, you know, graduated overseas from top universities, and they're all, you know, bunched up together in one sector, which is finance. Does it give you pressure, <coughs> or do you think that's a driving force? <coughs> 
there's a couple of ways to look at it, right? And you look at it from even intro the best way to kind of approach this is to you know, we I spent a bit of time on machine learning, right? Remember, yeah. we we discussed it at yeah. length as well. Yeah. But, you know, traditional machine learning is like a simplification of how the human brains work and how human interactions work as well. Because yeah. we are yeah. we are the intelligence that of artificial course, yeah. intelligence is. Right. So now I one thing you notice is that, you know, the evolution of the machine learning toolkits that they're developing. Right. I, I don't want to oversimplify it. And, you know, I'm not an expert. Mm. Right. I just I'm just a someone that's studied it just to understand it so I can hire people to take care of this for me but one thing I started to realize was there's there's obviously reinforcement learning then there's then there's then they evolved into things called adversarial networks Mm. which put nodes against each other Mm -hmm. to to compete for the better thing better outcome of course the most optimal outcome to be achieved so in in and it depends, you know, this depends from company to company. Companies, different companies have different dynamics, right? Yeah. You would notice that in certain firms, um, maybe some American firms, less so adversarial, more so, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the term? What's what's not, I guess, non-adversarial, more, more collaborative, yeah. right? Collaborative learning, right? Yeah. Well, some firms, some non-american firms right let's say are more adversarial right and in the same sense the machine the machine the artificial intelligence algorithms they're coming up with these days they're trying to prove that you can use various mechanisms to achieve an answer a solution yeah you know multivariate solutions come from come from these kind of uh from from these uh training landscapes right uh in the same sense yeah you you notice that I'm, I'm sure you you've of noticed course, it as yeah. well, right? Yeah, yeah. You um, but it's it's just a way of of how certain groups work and certain groups function. Now I'm not just saying I used American non-American as an example, but there's certain American firms that are adversarial, mm-hmm. right? It just depends on the culture of the organization. Now whether or not adversarial succeeds in the long run, I can't give an answer to that. I, you know. In the, from from my from my formative experience, from yeah. what I experienced in, as studying engineering in, in at university, yeah. and from my military experience and my experience working as a systems engineer, um, and and you know just just throughout my career, I've well, it kind of paused after after I joined the bank because then I moved to China, but and then it became adversarial, yeah. right, and I can see adversarial might work i don't think i don't believe it's sustainable Mm -hmm. right sustainable to human health like as an individual participating in it i'm sure sustainable as an organization you can it's sustainable Mm -hmm. sustainable as a strategy as a human being probably not Mm. the psychological stresses are are you know have a different impact on your health yeah right yeah and that's 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 i think that that basically constitutes burnout Right, large percentage of burnout would come from just the adversarial nature that you experience in Hong Kong, but that's just that's just my 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 hypothesis. Like I haven't really sit, sat there and tested it out, but my guess is, you know, I don't know. What's your opinion? Well, I think you know, obviously, um, Hong Kong is a very fast-paced city, and 
I've been having a lot of issues, mental issues, just dealing with a lot of, I mean, necessary things that I shouldn't be de- dealing with, right? I mean, a lot of times... You political forces. Political forces, um, let's not talk about it, but I think, you know, I think a lot of times you just compare yourself to a lot of top talents, but at the end of the day, I fail to really appreciate the fact that, okay, well, you know, I myself, I can actually achieve a lot of things. Not necessarily in finance or not necessarily, you know, in, in other stuffs. And probably, you know, set up my own podcast, <coughs> you know, to myself is already, you know, quite a milestone. Right. So No, I think I think, you know, from from a perspective of, you know, colleagues, I I believed you were a very sharp, astute, capable person. Yeah. Um the the problem is that, you know, we're living in a in a society that's increasingly adoptive of you know uh, well you're living it's not just hong kong though it's i think it's other areas as well like let's let's just isolate hong kong but sydney australia yeah has another host of problems completely different like there's there's issues of of nepotism there right Mm. looking at hong kong i would say there is this there is this bias these these biases um, towards people of uh, academic background at top tier universities. Yeah, but it's insane. But the top tier universities they're top tier because of their research programs, not their undergraduate courses. Yeah, right. Now, yes, there is. You know, you do your international baccalaureate. You do your SATs. You get a good mark. Yeah. And then what comes after that is what a lot of people don't truly appreciate, which is mm. the grooming that's necessary to go through the interviews for these top tier universities. You've got to pay for that, right? Yeah. The, um, the uh, getting into the sports teams, getting, you know, someone, someone giving you the opportunity at mm. your, you know, prestigious school. Yeah to be part of sport teams that then get looked at favorably for university entry or things like that. There's all these, there's all these other factors that get considered into the university entrance to these top tier universities. Um, and that creates this, this, this myopic view because these guys become, you know, they do, they do them, they do the courses and then you come back into an environment where the people that are hired are also, you know, people from the same kind of, they call it pedigree, right? Yeah. And which I, it's a term I, I really oppose, but you know, some people really buy into that. Yeah. Right. And, and then they, you know, the selection process when they're selecting candidates to interview is just a piece of paper that's run around the, run around the office. Yeah. And it has the name of the candidate, the university. Yes. And the, the, the marks, the, the scores, not the even the scores, not even the scores, probably not. Yeah. Just, just the name and the university and the age. Right. Yeah. And the middle management, yeah. which is, you know, from similar universities goes through and just ticks off the names that are from the same university they went to. Yeah. This is what I've been told. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but when you think about it, it just leaves out a whole, it just leaves out a whole gamut of, of capable individuals that that well potentially capable individuals yeah. just because they didn't you know go to these universities yeah. which is always predicated 
yeah. which is always predicated on uh, a, a ranking system that judges on the research of the university, yeah. which is on PhD level. Right. Right. You're, you're, you're judging you're judging capabilities of undergrad students based on one set of factors, but the, the ranking factors from the universities are on a completely set of different factors, right? Yeah. And then, and then you, you go and argue that, oh yeah, it's harder to get into those, but you know, yeah. the entrance to get into these, you know, a lot of the time, let's, let's not joke, let's not kid ourselves as well. You, you go to a good school in the US or you uh, expensive boarding school, yeah they train you to get into these universities. Of right? course, yeah. And, and, you know, there's arguments, oh, well, you know, 50% of the students are poorer from poorer backgrounds and yeah. this and that. But 50, you're talking 50% of the students represent 99% of the population of the world. Then that 1% represents the other 50%. That argument doesn't hold either, unless someone's willing to contradict me on that, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I, I've, I've had yeah, that argument. Yeah. It's like, oh, over 50% are, are yeah. actually from you know, middle class or, or lower backgrounds. Well, but they're underrepresented statistically in this, in this whole setup, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I just go back to, if you look at this from a, from a perspective of, of, I guess, rationalism, right? It's not very, it's not a very rational system that we have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It creates distortions. It creates, um, uh, it, it creates, what's it called? inequalities right that and that's i guess that manifests itself in in what you feel sometimes which is of course me i see you as a capable individual <laughs> i see you as very analytical i see you as as one of the smartest people i've come across right yeah the attention to detail and and i'm not saying i'm not i'm not extrapolating from one one factor here yeah i'm not this is no halo effect based on our friendship yeah this is this is this is based on multiple factors that I that I observed during during the time we worked together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you know there is there is the tendency to for others to employ a halo effect. He went to a good school. He must be the he must be the best candidate for for this role. Yeah. And it happens regularly in the finance in sector. Kong. In finance sector and yeah. yeah, in Hong Kong in general. There's no other sector, right? There's yeah. property, there's yeah. property management. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's some, there's some, there is, and it's funny, it's ironic that the, the, the startup scene is fueled by the same dynamic. <laughs> so yeah. now I, you look at, you look at, you know, the cyberport incubation fund, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you, and you look at their selection criteria yeah. and they say, we're only selecting people that have a trusted pedigree. You know, people that are, you know have worked in finance for the last seven. Well, what where does that leave everyone else? Like, where the ancillary service people that sit there? You know, they might have something to offer to the world. Good ideas. Good ideas yeah. and and exceptional kind of talent, yeah. intellectual talent that might be being missed. Yeah. Just because of of this of this of this worldview, and and then you see the failure. You mm -hmm. go to Cyberport. Yeah. And it's dead. Right, because the only things they're willing to sponsor are ex-bankers <laughs> to do startups. Because oh, they've got a track record of success. And they can uh, do and, and oh yeah, and they went to like you know these U U.S. universities. Yeah. yeah. And like you know, 
I, I went to Sydney University, right? Okay. So which is not bad. It's, it's not bad in, yeah. in Australian standards. It's yeah. it's one of the more prestigious when, ones know, in Australia. When Australian. you're in Hong Kong, people think it. You know, no, let's let's just. I don't really care too much about that <laughs> because because I've been I've been trained to try to to ignore that and right. and and hustle, yeah. right? Yeah. I've been trained to do that, or I've trained myself how, to. Do how it. can you sort of get over that mental barrier? Because a lot of times I've been trying to tell myself, let's not compare yourself to others. Yeah. Let's just focus on. Yeah, yourself. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how did you do that? And how can you sort of you know keep on that sort of you know mindset? The mental barriers is a is a challenge, right? Like yeah. you're you, it's a very, I guess it's a very human thing to to kind of always worry about what other people are thinking, um, mm -hmm. and yeah. you know there's these theories about I think I've read it a couple of times the outsider effect or something like that where you always feel like you're an outsider somewhere. Yeah. Right, you join a new field or a new company and you feel like an outsider yeah. and how do you overcome that yeah. that mental hurdle yeah. right well there's a couple of there's a couple of practical mechanisms that I use yeah. right yeah. which is which most people would find trivial mm -hmm. right and yeah. it's trivial um, in the sense that it's there isn't much to do right um, I I read some you know the classical philosophies sometimes right, right. i i i, I you name a few i read i read <laughs> i read meditations by marcus aurelius regularly right like because because it's not just reading that though it's actually having to believe certain certain things like axioms of of your existence right mm -hmm. some of the axioms of your existence are hard to swallow for certain people right yeah. like for instance, <clears throat> I, I don't want to kind of bastardize meditations in any way because this, this Marcus Aurelius was one of the greatest philosophers, in my opinion, of all time, yeah, right? Yeah. Because there was a pragmatic approach to it, to life. It applied it to life and it was very pragmatic, right? I, I don't want to bastardize it, but it, it, from what I gathered from, in, from, my, you know, from my simplistic view, I'm no philosopher I'm no academic in philosophy I, yeah. from what I gather um, he he talked about the the universe being one single fabric right and every element of this universe that we exist in is important regardless of how big or how small they are yeah. you are equal your role is different yeah. right and so from that perspective, you have to accept that as an axiom to your life, right? And yeah. then, okay, my role here and now is, uh, you know, um, I'm just a pleb, right? I'm an average person, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, I, I don't want to offend anyone by saying pleb. I'm just saying I am, <laughs> right? I'm just, I'm just an average person, yeah. right? I'm not, I'm not an ultra high net worth individual that can that can influence public policy. You're getting there. <laughs> I don't, it's not. It's not. That's not. The, yeah. That's a different. That's a different okay. part of this. That's a different part of this altogether, right? This yeah. is the. That's. This is the. Uh, this is the part that I. I kind of. You know. I. I make a stand at a certain point about the way in which philosophy is viewed, right? Which is, you're part of this fabric, and you, an average me, an average person, or. or a man that's that's homeless on the street is equally as important in this fabric of, of, of space and time. 
yeah. right of this universe yeah. right yeah. because you don't know what kind of impact you or or someone more than you or someone less than you can have in the future right less financially or less socially well off right mm. let's just say you're a homeless man sitting on the street you could potentially have more of an influence on humanity's future rather than someone who's an ultra high net worth that's that's the i guess that's the argument they were trying to make and why is that the argument right. they're trying to make well if that homeless person inspires a young boy walking past to say i'm going to change this world he's had more of an impact because this young boy can grow up and right. actually change the world we don't have that we don't have we don't have the luxury of of looking into the future of what influence that that one one element of this space-time fabric had yeah whatever the element is it could be a butterfly could be a could be a spider biting someone it loses a finger that guy decides he hates the world right and then and then creates like you know catalyzes into something that's you know, you, you know one of the a terrible leader like uh, I don't know you, well, give name one like uh, uh, Saddam Hussein or something like that right just it's the childhood trauma that can cause like you know some kind of a, 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 an effect a domino effect into something greater later right mm. so so what the way I try to do accepting this and then then going into the into the philosophies and reading you know some of you know, the meditations that Marcus Aurelius has and, and mm. seeing that you know this is what we go through today is still relevant today as it was 2000 years ago yeah right the, yeah. the, the pains the psychological anguish the torture the people the sycophants the the narcissists and dealing with them and having and trying not to be those people as well mm. right yeah and and you know sometimes you could argue that this doesn't it's not a winning solution to life right you could argue that I could you can I could very much argue that there's been moments in my career that I took the I, I took the more the moral high ground and I lost because of this right mm. and is it really is it the best thing you can do for yourself to take the moral high ground because you you read about it and say, maybe not but i think in the long term mm-hmm. just just staying alive having a running a good life influencing people in the right way yeah making a difference to whatever you can make a difference in in your universe yeah right right whatever your position is right you have to accept it and make a difference with whatever you have that is that is more important right Mm. And that is, I believe that should be sustainable. I don't have an answer to that yet. I'm not 90 years old reflecting back on life. But you don't have to be age 90 to. Well, you know, even 50 reflecting back on life or 60 reflecting. You you still might not have that answer until you're 90. Yeah. Because it's a long game, right? Yeah. It's a long game. and, And the long game includes your psychological health. Yeah. Which affects your physical health. Yeah. Which then affects your ability to execute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the other aspect of this which is you know i'm not going to sit by and accept. how are we doing for time i think we are actually approaching 40 minutes it's okay i think people listen to this. <laughs> i don't know i think people listen to it 40 minutes is a, is, a, is a good podcast 50 minutes an hour is a good podcast some yeah. people might listen to it right. but yeah anyways look, the, the other element of this is that um you know 
the meditations or Marcus Aurelius is, was always saying you have to accept where you are in life. Yeah. Right. You have to accept where you what you have, and and um, which is practically quite hard. No, right? it's, you have to look at it from a different perspective. It's the wrong angle that you're looking at. It just to, I believe this yeah. is this is where where I kind of sit there and, and make a stand against like some of some of the worldviews, yeah. right? Which is, yeah, you accept where you are in the universe. Mm-hmm. Part of that is accepting yourself as one who strives for more. Yeah, you understand. Yeah. So even though he talks about accepting uh, the realities. You know, yeah. you have to sit there and accept your place in the universe as this. Yeah. But your place in the universe also incorporates your drive, your ambitions, your motivations. Yeah. It's not it's not excluding that from the from the outcome. Yeah. It's just saying you have to accept yourself. Yeah. Right. That's that's what I believe. So you still have to work hard. You still have to work hard. If you have the ambition. Yeah. If you have the ambition, if you have the drive, if you have the intelligence, you have to employ it. And you have to accept that. Right. right, and you don't have to stress about what you currently don't have, right? What you currently don't have, you have to accept as well. Right, right, and that's the reality. That 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 gives you solace. I think that gives me a lot of solace. Right, right. You know, but you know, things 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 are not always um, that that simple because you know you find a partner you get married yeah and there's two people in the relationship and then their will is imposed on you as well yeah and you have to accept that too yeah their their, their worldview might be completely different to yours mm. and you know that they might be materialistic right they Which might is be quite prevalent extremely materialistic right <laughs> extremely um hungry for money yeah right for, for different reasons, right? Yeah. And that's their worldview. They might be hedonists. They don't know that they're hedonists yet, right? Yeah. And I've seen friends go through this, yeah. right? And it is, it is, you know, the, there is an acceptance, you know, you have to accept that that's your reality, but at the same time, you're, you, have, you have to accept that, you're, that your mind and your soul is not comfortable with that as well, mm. right? And there's, that's when decisions when people get divorced or break up things like that but you have to be comfortable you have to accept that reality that this is not you right? yeah. yeah in in all facets not just financial it's relationships it's everything right and yeah yeah that's what helps i think right in, in answer, short answer to your question that i think reading a lot into philosophy the classical philosophies and trying to trying to see how they apply now is is what helps right so not like trying to see uh, you know psychologist or you know psychiatrist well you, I think there is my sisters a, my, my, my family we have psychi- <laughs> psychologists in my family okay and um, and and I, I believe that there is a necessity for that for mental health issues right there is there is that yeah. um, fortunately I'm, I haven't reached that level yet right because you've been, you know, reading a lot of books to, you know, keep yourself sane all the time. No, no, it's not just that. It's <laughs> not just that. Like, <clears throat> it's um, you know, I, I I appreciate psychological health deteriorates very quickly. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it in real life, mm-hmm. very close to me. Yeah. And and and, <clears throat> I try my best to avoid falling into those situations. Yeah. Right. Um. But there are moments where where I feel 
you know there there are moments where you feel like there is a huge level of of difficulty in coping with certain things um especially in hong kong i use natural remedies sometimes to deal Mm -hmm. with it i use a lot of exercise i use a lot of um i guess i read right i i refer to to things texts and things to kind of find solace from from that that helps me yeah i i i i think a lot yeah i spend a lot of time thinking Mm -hmm. right about various outcomes of my decision making process where have i gone wrong where am i at fault i'm always everyone's susceptible to 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 anguish right psychological anguish it's just um it's just how you can try to there's mechanisms to deal with it right and and um and i think that you know when it gets to a point where it's really affecting your health mentally and physically then Mm. then it is necessary to to speak to people right yeah um I start off with with consulting with with friends and confidants, right? Okay. Trusted people, you know, that I can speak to, and and you know, at least you can talk about the issues and and have a sounding board to to um, yeah, so that it's not just left on your self rationalization of the situation, right? Yeah, because in Asian society, a lot of people, you know, keep those kind of mental issues to themselves of course well i'm i'm it's asian more like as a well right cultural issue i'm like, u.s is different People but I, i'm, I'm asian as well though yeah i'm asian as well like yeah. i'm i'm you know west asian right yeah. like it's it is very cultural to keep it bottled up right um there is this you know there's this masculinity issue yeah. there's this yeah. social stigma issue but yeah. you know increasingly that's changing right yeah and and you should be aware of it right from like there is there should be a awareness of yourself that you know you need to deal with these things mm. using all things all, all available resources you know actually i wouldn't say that i wouldn't mind like you know if, if there was a psychologist i could go to for for a very cheap price i wouldn't <laughs> mind like you know part of it is that like it's it's quite expensive here yeah right yeah it is very expensive and yeah. you know there there is counseling services and things like that but um, you know, I've always, I'm always telling people to come here and, and work in that field because it helps, right? Yeah. It helps. It, it would help a lot. People need someone to, to reflect with and, and, you know, digest their own emotions and thoughts, right? Yeah. So I've considered it, but, you know, it's, maybe it's the, the it's how prohibitively expensive it is. Mm. Like, not prohibitively, but I'm just saying, like, for me, it's, it's not to the point where I would do it because... I'm in anguish. It's yeah. to the point I would do it to improve myself, right? But if if I can go around that by reading and, and talking to my confidants, and, yeah. and then then I think that's a better approach, my better bang for my buck, right? Yeah, yeah. So I believe you uh, have currently left finance, right? And well, it's not. It's not. I haven't left finance. <laughs> well, anyways, you've switch I mean, field to well, crypto i i have right okay so um, there is there is a background to that so um actually yes last year look i've, I've had an incubator for the last two years yeah i, I self-funded um i've got a team of 10 developers yeah and they develop these softwares that are that, that are basically owned by us and and uh, entrepreneur a junior entrepreneur who's you know early 20s or mid 20s there's a few of these and the goal is to um, to to just try to develop innovative software that that could 
that's in the right fields like yeah. edtech or or um, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, um, crypto. Yeah. Right. And and I believe that yes, I believe that crypto is, you know, crypto is the future. Why do I believe crypto is the future? Yeah. It's not a blanket statement, right? Um, I look at things from a perspective of, you know, if you studied electric, if you studied electrical engineering at some point, which I have, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, as part of my engineering degree, um, we did do multiple courses on electrical engineering, but the most important thing you learn is that, you know, it's um, electricity always takes the path of least resistance, right? Mm. When a lightning strikes, it takes the path of least resistance to the earth, right? Uh, through the air and through any kind of inanimate object that exists or, or even a human object that exists, the lightning will take the path of least resistance. So will, so will the, you know, so does the financial market, right? The global financial markets, the, so does money. Yeah. So does wealth takes the path of least of, of course there's resistance but the, if there's a not if there's a less resistive offer somewhere on the street a cheaper bargain a cheaper transaction right um i believe that asset flows will always go through those cheaper mechanisms there's yeah. less resistance yeah. right so that's that's the that's the fundamental philosophy behind this yeah you have a you have a very clumsy very um uh, opaque system that exists these days and to to cater for global asset flows and financial flows yeah right and that whole even even you know, just as simple as trading hours the concept of trading hours is is kind of is uh is is dated is dated to the the 19th century right yeah um and you see crypto trading 24 seven yep. and you see the ease at which you can move assets or funds across, you know, boundaries, geographic boundaries or organizational boundaries, institutions. And then you realize that actually the promise of this is far greater than anything that's being promised by the traditional financial system. Mm. Right. Um, and that's just on the, that's just one industry vertical you're looking at. It's yeah. not even looking at the other industry verticals. You're not looking at shipping, supply chain. You're not looking at um, uh, identity. Yeah. You're not looking at social media. Yeah. You're not looking at entertainment. Like, there's so many different verticals in which um, things could be done in a faster, cheaper more efficient manner and this is what the promise of it is right that's essentially the promise of of blockchain yeah. public blockchain ledgers i'm not talking about private ledgers because that defeats the purpose right yeah but you can see you know there's there's more and more there's more and more um corporates very large corporates even local ones that household names that everyone knows that no one knows they're dealing they're developing crypto as their as their technology backend yeah to run certain transactions yeah right yeah and or run their businesses yeah. right run their decentralized kind of you know run their ledgers and their yeah. 
their transactions with their peers and their, their procurements and and these are these are these are household names yeah and these guys are using the the blockchain frameworks that are the pu public blockchain frameworks like ethereum for instance right maybe solana in the future yeah right uh, maybe Polkadot in the future we don't know but but um this is a trajectory this is a trend that's being adopted by corporates at an alarming rate that a lot of people are missing and every time there's a use case based on the ethereum framework or the ethereum protocol or based on the solana protocol mm. right the value of that protocol will increase because there's going to be more network traffic going through it the utilization increases so the value of it naturally increases as well right the value of the transactions that it processes for time stamping or for recording things or for running smart contracts yeah that's the that's that's the part that's completely getting missed let's talk about uh healthcare sector right a sector that's been you know everyone everyone's been talking about how does the sort of blockchain technology gonna have a beneficial impact on the sector for starters right like me that i that I'm not an expert in it, you know. If you talk about, you know, like those infrastructure, it's a little bit complicated for others to really understand what's, you know, what's behind. But for healthcare sector in general, what's your thoughts on it? <clears throat> healthcare is like, you know, the, the application of it is fundamentally something that is a key concern, I believe, to, to medical practitioners which is you go to a doctor you go to a hospital and your your entire history your medical history is not present it's just based on you know you cross geographies you go from australia to hong kong or you go from hong kong to america there's mm. complete okay. separation of, yeah. of records yeah and those records are a huge element of of what it takes to to help someone like health wise yeah right psychological health physical like other well psychological is physical health so physical health in all aspects whether it's your brain whether it's your heart whether it's your kidneys or liver right having having that ability of of access to information or access to your own information to present it somewhere else it clarifies a lot for the medical practitioner that's serving you. That's that's on the that's on the most fundamental level. Right. Okay. Then you look at it from okay. Drugs, medicines, right? The administration of medicines these days is is so is is it's like it's it's been um it's been mismanaged. Right. In countries, very well developed countries, right? You have a situation where, where someone um, is being, you know, he just collects and collects medicines to take on a weekly basis because he's got a heart condition, he's got he's got diabetes, he's got he's also got you know fifty percent kidney function, and and yeah, this is a natural thing of aging, right? You know, yeah. you lose kidney function, you get there's yeah. diabetes, and and you got a heart condition, right? Yeah. Now, but there's they're over medicated they're completely over medicated right 
And how do you deal with this over-medication issue? Because, you know, there's, there's no one vetting the fact that, you know, this doctor's given him this, this doctor's given him that. There's, there's yeah. no triangulation of it, yeah. right? And there's no transparency offered to people that can sit there and say, okay, well, the, 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 I think it's called cross-indication. Right, right. Of, of these medications or something cross I, I don't know what it is I'm not right. a specialist in pharmacology but what it does is you you there is these offer it offers the ability to not only monitor your to, to not only give you control over your medical history so that when you go somewhere and people can see it and people can make a medical determination of, of what's wrong with you very yeah. much much more easily than than having fragmented information here and there, and, and and it's stored locally, local drives in various hospitals. Maybe some, un, maybe some countries they're unified, yeah. right? But it's it's not unified across, you know. Even on the on the on the pharma, pharmaceutical end, right? So yeah. it doesn't, you know, these all need to be kind of triangulated and and put together in a way that is transparent to you. Yeah. It's whether or not you allow it to be visible to other people. That's 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 your choice right i'm not saying the and that's what it offers i believe that's what it offers it offers the ability to it's not going to change drug discovery or it might in a different way i i'm no special i haven't looked into that yeah. angle but i know from an angle from as someone that that's gone yeah. that's been a patient yeah how it could help right okay. this is how it can help it can help by by creating um more more robust systems in which people can get better diagnoses mm -hmm. uh, cut down their the, the amount of, of drugs that they're taking right yeah. because it's completely unnecessary right yeah and for some are completely unnecessary yeah right yeah and at the same time it allows for for I think what it would do is allow for a better mechanism to, this is the part where that, that touches the actual treatment, the technology side of things. Mm -hmm. You have this, you could, you would have a lot of data on a lot of people. It's private to the individuals, but you could, what you could do is allow for sampling. Yeah. Right. Through, through technology that takes that uses machine learning to identify commonalities in, in conditions and even, you know, to some extent, anticipate or diagnose some things that have been misdiagnosed, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and that is another application of it, right? Because that's where artificial intelligence is necessary to classi for classification purposes and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. But what do you have in that sense? Well, I'm having pains and this is my medical history and then okay well if you if you want to have if you don't trust what your doctor's saying how about you look at this route because maybe this might find a solution for what you're having and then it gets processed but then it comes back and says you might have this without your name associated with it right obviously there's a privacy aspect yeah. but these these are mechanisms in which will improve health and quality of life of individuals right this is this is where i think that it would lead in the in the medical sphere right mm -hmm. i'm well, no expert uh, that's the caveat i'm <laughs> no expert in this like that's a very uh comprehensive comment so i think we're running out of time okay uh, i think uh we 
probably have to do another episode. Of course. Um, um, let's do this regularly. I think... Th- um, there's just way too many topics to talk about. We can talk about so many. There's um, like different issues. I, I have here <laughs> a publication that I wanted to go through, but we didn't have the time. And, and uh, we can talk about investing. We can talk about... Uh, yeah. different areas of, of um, you know society <laughs> I just I just want to leave with with one kind of quote yeah right and it's just from Go I like ahead. reading quotes right I, we don't I don't want to name sources <laughs> but ahead. one of the quotes that I want to want to say is that um, it is in our responsibilities not ourselves that we should take seriously Okay, well, that's quite uh, it's quite profound, right? Very inspirational. You think so? Because I think that's that's that that was that was something that just it really woke something in me as well. Because yeah, I think one day you you're gonna have your own quote for sure. No, well, you know, I I, I don't want pedigree. to. I'm not really you know in that in that state yet, but eventually maybe you will. I think you. Will. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, that's the end of the uh, episode. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you.